As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, welcome to Beyond Barrier. I'm Jeff Scoop here with my co-host, Acacia Dietz, for another episode of Beyond Barrier's podcast. Tonight, our special guest is an old friend of mine uh, from the past, Mr. Fred Cook. Fred, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's great to see you again. Uh, Fred, at one time, was the chief of staff of, of the National Socialist Movement, which is basically the second in command of the organization for, for a time. So, Fred, please tell us a little bit about your past. I got involved with uh, white nationalism, national socialism when I was about 12 years old at first. Um, a friend, Paulie, came and he was, oh, this is great, you know, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, everybody's so connected, you know, and it's, you know, it, it's not hate, it's pro-white, that's it, it's not hate. And uh, I, I started slowly sort of seeping into that. I went to a couple meetings with him with a local group of skinheads. Um, but at the time I had long hair, so I was sort of the kept on the outcast, sort of looked at like a hippie. Um, by the time I was about 15, Paulie knocks on my door and he's like, I just stabbed a guy. You stabbed somebody? What the hell are you talking about? You stabbed somebody? Yeah, he hit on me. And it's like, you stabbed the guy. And he's like, yeah, I need a place to stay. And my mom was like, oh no, you ain't staying the fuck here. Get the hell out of my house. And uh, that, that was my first real exposure to, to some of the violence that it sort of brought into everything. Um, I, I sort of veered away a little bit from that, the whole national socialist, anything at that point. And then I was in high school and a black girl liked me. And she was kind of, you know, hitting on me and stuff. But at the time I was already dating a girl and I told her I'm not interested. So she told a bunch of other kids that I called her the N-word and that I was a racist. And so I was jumped and hit in the back of the head with a brick outside of the school. And right there, it was something snapped in me. And it was like, you know, all black people are violent. I need to do something, you know, to be pro-white and to support white people because I just got hit in the back of the head with a brick and almost put in a coma. You know, and, and that's sort of where everything kind of went sour. And I started, uh, at that time, AOL was the big thing, and they had their chat rooms. Um, I was talking with a guy, Clan Man NY, um, very well-known guy in New York. And uh, I started heading out to New York, making visits with him, hanging out with him and all the, the guys out there. Most of them were bikers, too. Um and it sort of grew from there. I just sort of, uh, I was getting tapes sent to me at the time, cassettes were still a thing. I was getting cassette tapes sent to me um, of white nationalists and national socialist speakers. Um, of course, I had most of the big name books um, at the time and Mein Kampf. Uh, I had a lot of the, the, the more fantasy books the books where it was, you know, we're doing this because it's what's right for our people type books. But it was like, I, I didn't really, I was very much so into it because of the violence that I experienced. 
before that it was more like a passing thing like oh yeah me and a bunch of guys are just going to get together and hang out it wasn't really serious after getting jumped they said it was about 11 to 12 kids at the same time that jumped me hit me in the head with a brick at that point it was do or die for me it was like something snapped and it was okay i need to do this and i need to be you know in, in a role where i am you know, with people like me, that I don't have to worry about that. Um, I don't like using a lot of negative slang, but a lot of the slang that everybody kept using back then, even around uh, the New York people I was hanging around with, was when you're around blacks, don't relax. That was pretty much the common. Now, I don't like using anything now because I've, I've had so many changes in life. Um, when I found the National Socialist Movement, I was watching all the videos on there and it was like, yeah, you know, this is dead on. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. Um, this is what I want to be a part of. This feels more like the camaraderie I've been looking for. I was not living in Pennsylvania anymore, so I lost a lot of my old contacts. Um, I, I sent in my application and I, I just kind of took off from there. Um, we had met originally in Georgia at a, a small gathering, if I remember, and uh, it was like everybody had, you know, the typical paraphernalia that was out there, swastika flags, shirts. I had to get a shirt, of course, because, you know, that's what you have to do. You have to look the part. You have to, to be the part. And it was like constant stress. It was like, you were constantly not just trying to impress other people, but trying to, to be your absolute best as a white person at that point. And it was like anything that, that came your way, you know, Jewish, black, whatever, that was just a distraction. You needed to get the hell away from them and you needed to, you know, be with your people, be with everything, a hundred percent diehard white. And, uh, in the NSM, I, I had found that, but it wasn't a true, a, a true feeling of, of that because it was always trying to impress everybody. It was always trying, you know, not to, to get on people's negative sides, not to, to, to make yourself stand out so much that you're a thorn. You know what I mean? Because as much as you move up in an organization like that, there's a lot of room for people to hate you. And I experienced that my whole time in the, the national socialist world, that it was all a matter of you get the wrong people hating you and now you're completely uh, demonized. You're now the person that was calling you brother a week ago now is like, I should punch you in the mouth. There, there is no real camaraderie it's it's a false camaraderie and i learned that when you know after spending probably eight hours a day working on everything nsm i got that phone call on the day that my first daughter was born and uh a guy telling me that because i was working with anonymous to get pedophile websites off the internet um that I was a traitor because Anonymous had done a bunch of stuff outing people that I hadn't even freaking really heard any of the people I was with in Anonymous and, and doing work with mentioned because we were too busy worrying about the people that were hurting kids. And he's like, that makes you a traitor. And that's exactly what he said. And this is a guy that, you know, I knew for what, a year and a half, two years. And all the time he was brother this, brother that. He was always, you know, we got to stick together, you know, hugs when he sees you. And at the same time, he's looking to piece you as a traitor as soon as he possibly could without having any other information that, that would say otherwise. And it was like, at that point, it was like, this, this really isn't for me. The camaraderie I was looking for in any of these white groups was fake all this time. 110% it was they're just looking to to sort of elevate themselves at the expense of anybody that they remotely think isn't white enough or that isn't proud enough of being white. And it's like 
I, at that point, when I had left, I had ceased any contact with anybody. It just cut everybody off in the movement, except for a friend in North Carolina. I still talk with him, W. Um, I still talk with him, but he left too at that time because he was, you know, pro-anonymous and, and stuff. He's the one that got me initially involved. And uh, I still talk with him, but it was like everybody else just, I cut them off because they weren't, they were the fake. They weren't, you know, there was no real brotherhood there. There was no care for one another. And uh, I decided at that point that I was ignorant, that I was a complete fool for most of my life. And uh, I was going to do something about it, that I didn't want to be that. So I started making friends that were from other races. And I became really good friends with uh, B. Stevens, Brian Stevenson. And uh, he, he was one of my best friends for years. About four years ago, he committed suicide. And it's the first time I can say in my entire life, I cried for somebody that was another race. And that really just threw me through a loop. You'll find now that I have friends that are, you know, gay, lesbian, transcend, uh, transsexual, um, black, Jewish. And then just this last month, rather, um, I got my ancestry results back. My whole life, I was told the stories of how we're right from Germany. You know, we're 100% German and English. That was it. I came to find out I'm Scottish, I'm Irish, a whole bunch of other things, and I'm 12% Ashkenazi Jew. And that right there was like the world came full circle. It, it was everything just sort of hit me at once and it was, I, I didn't know what to do with the information. It was like, that's who was my enemy for so long. I, I talked out about the Jews nonstop. That was nonstop, 24-7. They were the enemy. And, and it's like, I'm not an enemy of anybody. Was I that much of an ignorant? And I now have, I don't know if you can see it, Blutun Boden on my arm, still tattooed in like this big through my forearm, and I'm a Jew. And it's like, you never know what you're going to uncover. You never know what's going to to be there in your family history because it might not be the grandparents. It might be your great-grandparents. You don't know what you have in you. And everything has changed in my life. Like I used to do next to nothing that didn't involve me working towards a white future. And now I'm just working towards, you know, getting people together, getting people to realize we have a lot more in common than we do different. Um, nobody in this world wants to suffer. Nobody wants to, to see their loved ones suffer. And that's a commonality that should really drive home that, that to, to, if you're doing something that's making someone else suffer, you wouldn't want it done to you. And I remember doing flyer campaigns all throughout the Northeast Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, going all over, putting flyers. And it's like, I couldn't imagine being a Jew waking up and seeing a swastika on a flyer sitting on my freaking lawn or my car or being a black person and waking up and seeing, you know, be a man, join the clan. How do you... Um... I don't mean to cut you off. I mean, I'm in awe of this conversation. I mean, this, this is incredible. And there's so many questions I have for you and, and so many different things. But one of them that uh, just stands out right now on uh, how you're explaining that about the flyers. And I, I'm curious about this because, you know, the whole concept of Beyond Barriers and the work that we do is that you're in this echo chamber, you're behind the barriers and you can't see that humanity of other people. So I... That's that's how I wasn't able to see those things when I was in it. And I wanted to ask you as well, you know, we were talking about how passing out the flyers and, and I remember I remember all the things that you're talking about, actually, yeah. because we were there together. But um, 
how, did at that I can't even get the words out at that point in time, like when you were passing out the flyers, did it ever cross your mind at that time, like how people that are getting them would feel about it? Or it was just, this is for the white race and, and this is, you know, this is what we do. Or did you think about those other ramifications of that? That's the thing when you, when you're that deep involved in it, you don't care. You don't care if a black person's offended. You don't care if a Jewish person's offended. You don't care if somebody lost a loved one to it and they're suffering because they saw that. All you care about is the message is what's important. The white race is that that much more important. And everyone around you is telling you that same exact thing. What you're doing is good. These people are bad, period, end of story. So you don't really have any other uh, options that... that, that as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our only other way of thinking would be, you know, being a traitor. And that's the thing. You're either a traitor or you're not. There is no gray area. There is no, well, I have black friends. And, oh, you have black friends? You can't have black friends. You, you know what I mean? And it, it, that's how it is the entire time you're, you're involved in it. Um, they say it's not about hate, but at the, the cornerstone of it, that's where everything comes from. And I'm 42 years old. I'm too damn old to hate everybody. <laughs> And, and it's, it's interesting though, like, um, and, and we've explained, you know, explained this as well to people, like when you're in there, you don't, you don't see that, you don't feel that empathy for these other people because you're just so in that, in that bubble or behind those barriers that you're, you're not able to see it. And, and at the time, I remember back, back in those days when I was, um, any girls that I was dating from outside the movement, they would come around and they'd say, Jeff, this is like a cult one after another, they were saying that, you know, to me in private. And I'm like, what is wrong with these girls, man? Why do they keep saying it? It was me. I didn't see it, but they did because they were coming in from the outside. After leaving the movement, I processed it almost right away. Like, hey, this really is cult-like. So I, I mean, would, would you agree with that? that? That you couldn't see it then, but you see it now? Absolutely, 110%, because you want to please everybody that's there. You know, when you get there, everybody's hugging you. Hey, welcome to it. You know, everybody's real cool with you, you know, and everything is controlled. And what I mean by controlled is they're not telling you exactly what to do, but you know, if you step out of line, if you show emotion, if you show anything that is not white manliness 110 percent of the time around anybody you're weak you're a traitor um you're the reason that everything's going wrong in the world no different from a jewish person or a black person and how they're seen in the movement it is very much so cult-like behavior especially to the point where you'll notice a lot of people they they are ostracized in their own family because of it I know a lot of people that basically pushed their entire families away and were like, I'm doing what's right, you know, 
and everybody that's around them's like, we're your family now. And it, it's very much so like you would see Heaven's Gate cults or any of those where this is the supreme word. You follow this. If you don't follow this, you're you're not right. And I think that's an incredible. I, I'm you said he's very eloquent the way you put that together. And and what's interesting about your experience too is because we've had other formers on the program and. Um, we've had guys that have been in, in leadership positions and others that haven't that were on lower level uh, guys and things like that. But I think there's a really interesting dynamic here, especially as you being, a, you know, rising through the ranks and being a former leader, you have a unique perspective on a lot of these things. And what you said earlier in the conversation as well about how all of a sudden your brothers and these people that or, or that we thought you were brothers have a problem with you now because there's that jealousy and there's that competition and I, I like how you said too about how there's no gray area because this this is just it and even after you get out like a lot of people that are in there they see anybody that's not in agreement with them as being traitors just like you said and, and I've at first when I was getting messages from people that were still in going how could you the first thing that would be out of their mouth since you're out when you leave the movement, their first thought is, oh, now you're Antifa or now you're a communist. Like what? Just because I left the movement doesn't mean I have to flip to the other extreme side and become a communist or an anarchist. That's not accurate. I mean, there is people that do that. It's not as common as I think people would like to think, but um, there's people that do it, but it's just that automatic assumption that the moment you leave, you must be Antifa or on the other, you're the enemy. You're just straight up the enemy. And I think that that's a, that's a really interesting thing. And I'm also curious about um, your, your story about how you got involved in the movement. I don't think I actually knew about that, about the guy um, uh, that had gotten stabbed and your initial involvement. So that was really interesting. So would you say that having those it sounds like it, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you say that trauma then is what originally brought you to the movement or was it more of like a search for something or what, what were your feelings on that? For me, it was sort of like a, a salad, a combination of the trauma that I had and uh, looking for somewhere to fit in. I was told my whole life, you're German. And I first grew up in a, uh, predominantly Cambodian area of Philadelphia. And so, you know, nobody there really accepted me. Everybody was really close knit with each other, but it was, look at this little white guy here. You know, at the time I was really small. I hadn't really grown much. And then we moved into an Irish neighborhood and everybody's were proud to be Irish and you're not Irish. And I come to find out I'm mostly Irish and Scott, you know, oh, um, wow. but it's really a combination of the two that, that led me to the movement. And uh, the, what you were saying just a minute ago, too, it really struck home. Um, when it comes to leaving the movement, instantly you're a traitor. You have to be one of the enemies. That's what keeps people in the movement because they know that they're surrounded by enemies. And one of the things that built the most and tightest camaraderie in the movement was when Antifa would attack an event or attack something. All the guys would gather together. All right, this is what we need to do. Let's go out there. If we find Antifa, you know, it's going to be a fight. Let's bash their ass, you know, and that, that's just the way it was. And that formed such a cohesiveness at events and, and things like that, that it was almost like Antifa helped empower, you know, national socialism. It was one extreme or the other. And so when you leave, that's the first thing they're gonna say, oh, he's with the enemy, he's a traitor. Yeah. Because they want you, now that you're gone, to be seen as the bad guy. They don't wanna hear you. They don't wanna hear you say that's wrong, what, what we were doing was wrong. They don't wanna hear that. All they care about is good and evil, white and black, and them being the good guys, everyone else being the bad guys. Yep. Yeah, and, and they do, and we found that. We've you know been researching this stuff and studying this stuff and from talking with other people that have been on the journey um, out, and we are finding, and I mean, and, and I second exactly what you said, is, is those were some of the times, especially when there was battles with the far left, 
um, those raise the adrenaline, raise the spirits, raise the camaraderie level. Um, we find that I call it cause and effect. Like if you're going to be pushing from one side, you're going to get pushed back from the other side. No one ever left the movement by getting punched, you know, punched in the face, you know, punching a Nazi usually just, uh, more radicalizes that individual it justifies their in their mind it justifies their behavior and uh they go on from that and, and we're finding that you know to be the case and exactly to what you said like they see us they see those that leave at, they they can't they can't comprehend that that middle area and i explain that a lot too and the the extremists on the on the left side they don't, they don't like you if you don't go to them. So you're still, you know, some of them will say, well, you're a Nazi if you're not with us, if you're not, you know, anarchist or, or communist and, and you say you're not a Nazi, you must still be a Nazi. So they're just as bad. And, and you know, we've talked to, we've had people that have, you know, we work in counter extremism. So we'll have people that come to us that have been former religious extremists, cult members, mostly far right is what we deal with. Cause that's, you know where we came from so we're familiar with the people there but we've had people come from the far left as well and they'll tell you know they'll tell us almost the exact same thing it's like their trajectory their social circles and things like that the in the extremist um groups whether they're right or left they're even though they're very different ideologies they're very the same when it comes to like the social uh uh, network and, and aspects of things and, and the religious ones is a little bit different but also a lot of similarities and we've it's really oh, interesting yeah. when you uh, delve into that so there's so many questions for you man I mean the, the journey so I want to uh, we didn't talk about this yet either but there's we could probably have you on for like five hours <laughs> keep going right, there's, exactly. there's so many, I, I, I felt like I was interrupting him his story was so good but uh, so Fred um the uh, on the journey out so um and i want to go to this about finding out about your jewish heritage and stuff like that too but before that like you're finding your way out you're you're realizing that people in the movement were passing judgment on you and 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 all that and how did that when you first left like how difficult was that to, at, at, you know kind of doing that on your own it was kind of like taking a rope and cutting it in half and that you cut off your entire lifeline all of your friends that you made over the years gone in a heartbeat none of them wanted to be your friends because now you were the enemy now you were the traitor you left what was right you're going to the side that was wrong obviously so it was a lot like cutting a rope in half and only having half of the rope because I still had you know my wife and kids and stuff and I had one friend left from all of that who also left at the same time. Um, but it was like cutting off every friend that I ever had. Hmm. It was starting life over at that point. And, you know, it, it's not easy. It is painful, very painful. It's like losing a part of your heart, your identity you know, what you are, what you've been all those years. It's like you cut that out completely. And uh, trying to find yourself again, trying to find a, a, a path to take that isn't necessarily the complete opposite because you don't want to end up on the opposite extreme of the spectrum. Um, but trying to find something that, that's a nice middle ground, something that is without the extremism from either side or any part. Um, exactly. Because like you were saying, the, the extreme left and the extreme right, they're two sides of the same coin. They really are. And so you don't want to go either way. You want to sort of sit on the edge of that coin. You don't want either side to, to take precedence. You don't want to, to veer too far because you know that if you fell into it once that you don't want to fall into any other opposition of that. You know, it, It's all going to lead to the same thing. So I sort of cut everybody off at that point, like everybody that I knew, um, except for, of course, my family. And that was it. I had that for probably two years, just my wife and kids. And that was my sole focus. And it was so weird, too, because I spent so many hours reading books, listening to CDs, listening to audio cassettes, 
um, working on things, writing things um, for the, the, the movement at that point. It was like, what do I do with all that time now? Right. You know, it's like having going from having a couple hours a day in your life to do things that you, you wanted to and had to um, and having hours upon hours to just sit and reflect. And it really gets to you after a while. It, it really hurts because all those realizations that you couldn't have when you were a part of it really come through and you start realizing God, that I really demonize every single black person because of something that happened to me? Am I that stupid? You know, that I really demonize a whole group of people, the Jewish people, because, you know, Hitler and a bunch of assholes, excuse my language, were, were telling me that every Jew is evil and they just, you know, controlled everything and wanted to take over the world. And it came down to... to a lot of introspection. Um, who did I want to be? What did I want to be? And how can I make things? I mean, I'll never be able to make things better for all the crap that I've done, but I can sure as hell try with the rest of the life that I have left. And that's exactly. pretty much at the point where I still am. That's, that's great. That, that is really, that's really, that's meaningful, you know, and that's, and that's how a lot of us feel. And, and um, I'm, I'm so proud of you, man. I mean, just hearing that and, and I, and I know it's true. I know the kind of dedication you have as a person. That's why you were, you know, chief of staff when we were in that mess before. And I know how much time you put into it. And, and I know the struggle. We both know the struggle of, of coming out, all of us, um, um, you know, we really understand that. So in, in what part, I know your family was there for you and all, and all that, and that's so incredibly important and, and you're blessed and, and lucky, uh, fortunate that you, you had them because a lot of the people that are coming out don't have anybody, you know, so it's even, even more difficult. So how important was it for you to, um, to be sure that... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. That the movement wasn't something that was going to affect your family and, and children and things like that. Is that something that you thought about as you were leaving or, or afterwards? What hit me the most was... You know, when I was in the movement, all I cared about was the movement. I cared about my family too, don't get me wrong, but I was doing it for them. That's what you're told. You're doing it for your children. You're doing it for a better future for them. Right. Um, the 14 words, David Lane, you know, we must secure the existence of our race and a future for white children. Um, that was mantra. That was every day. And so coming out of it, um, I, I just basically had this, this feeling because my kids at the time, um, my two sons are autistic. They're on the autism spectrum. So when I came out of it, my, uh, 
elder son, I never really got the, the boys and, and my daughters involved in that too much. Um, my elder son was like, I have a crush on a girl at school and she's black. And it was like, I, but you know, all this, it was trying to come out, but I was like, no, stop it. That was an ass that, 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 that looked like you back in the day. That was, that's not you now, stop it. And I just hugged him and said, you know, cool. If she likes you, cool. And uh, that's what's most important to me, making sure that, that the future does look better for my kids. And it's not just for race. The future looks better for my kids because the world's a little bit better than when I came into it. That's what's more important to me than anything at this point. That's amazing. And, and isn't it a more positive way to see the world when you're not, I've, I've always said, I feel like, you know, being in the movement, a good way to explain it. And, and I, I think you'll agree is, is that every single day you woke up and you felt like you were at war with the world and, and that you're just in a constant battle. And it, and it could be guys, people in your own group or the a competing group. It was always the competing groups, you know, and sometimes, like you said, there was problem even in the groups and, I think in the NSM, we had less inner fighting within inside the group than most of the groups do, you know, and we still had it, but most of them that I know of are much worse uh, as far as the infighting. And then you're always fighting with the other ones. And then the, you know, the, all the white people that, that don't like the movement and all of the other races and gay people, people that have certain religions that you don't like. I mean, it's just, it's exhausting and it's so polarizing and so, uh, for lack of a better word, and you said it earlier too, stupid. It's just stupid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, they're all enemies. They're all enemies. They're out to get you. They're the boogeyman. You know, they are in control of everything. You have no control and it's their fault. It's a lot of scapegoating. It's a lot of, of well, this is why the world is this way because of these people and these groups of people so they're your absolute enemy you can't be friends with them because they hate you and it's like right now i live in a 100 percent black community literally we are the only white people living here we're in a historic black community and it's like i have never once felt threatened i have never once felt like i didn't belong um our block captain, even she comes to the door, knocks on it. Hey, we're having this neighborhood thing outside. Come down to it, bring the kids. And it, it's the, if that's my enemy, sign me up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, real quick, um, leaving the movement, I know you were saying that, you know, obviously you focused on family and all of that. Like, did you find it? what what was like your biggest support during those times during those two years of trying to find yourself again outside of being involved with the group and all of that probably my wife her constantly telling me leaving was a good thing leaving was a positive look at all the bad that you did all of the hate that you you kind of put out into the world and then look at your kids Mm. do you want your kids to to be the same do you want your kids to grow up hating everybody and having you know a very select group of friends who really don't care about them at all who don't care if they live or die you know if they die they would just die a martyr for the movement instead of dying a good friend or somebody that somebody cared about and okay. th that's what really hit me. That's what really kept me on the straight and narrow when I was leaving everything. Um, my wife constantly telling me, you know, there's nothing to worry about now. You, you don't have all those enemies. They're not your enemies now. Um, that, that was something that's really different. You know, I mean, it, it's something that, that very much so makes you look at everything that you've done in retrospect. And uh, it, it hurts when you know the things that you did hurt others so bad, it hurts you. And that's just basic human empathy. Something that they almost try to beat out of you in those movements is basic human empathy. Yeah. And uh, 
when all that kicks in, it hurts. It it's bad. Oh yeah. So you know, it's bad but good. <laughs> it it is it is and and that's and I that's what helped me get out too is is see is seeing the humanity of the so-called other or seeing seeing feeling empathy for other people that were damaged by hate that were hurt by hate. So it's really incredible to hear, you know, you say those same things that, you know, once you're reflecting, it's hard, it's hard to see it when you're in there because you're just, you know, just as you said, I mean, I just, I'm not, I don't want to repeat everything Fred said, but it's so right on. It is Absolutely. so right on. It's so incredible, man. And, um, uh, you know, you know, it, it, it does take strength, but doesn't, doesn't life feel feel much i see both of us were, were smiling we're smiling more we didn't smile back in those days did we not very much no if you smiled you were weak you know <laughs> if you smiled you were you know what have you been converting with the enemy to make you smile you know you weren't allowed to show emotion you weren't allowed to to be a human being you know if you were a human being you were evil you were a traitor you had the potential to betray everything because you're showing any kind of emotion other than I'm a proud white person, you know, it, it, it's so bad. Mentally, it is so bad for the human condition itself to, to sort of keep everything inside all the time. It eats you. Yes, it does. You know, it, it, and when it eats away at you enough, it leaves nothing. It leaves a hollow shell. And that's what you have to wake up to every day of your life. Wow. Well said, well said brother. Um, so now we'll fast forward to closer to like almost right now. So you're out, you're, you're, you're living in an all black area and everything's going great. Uh, contrary to what the old beliefs of the movement were, you know, that, you know, you should have been long dead by now in that area. Uh, you know, which is obviously a false, right. false narrative. But um, I want to know, like, um, I think the listeners uh, and the viewers would be curious too. So you spent all this time in, how many years in total would, would you say first? Because I'm leading this up to the question I have for you. Uh, I'm really bad at math, but I would say probably seriously getting deep into it about from age 15 to well, I'm 42 now. I've been out for six or seven years. So right in between there, quite a bit of time. Long time, long time. Yeah. Years, yeah. So yeah. how, um, that's incredible. And, and um, it, you know, and, and another fine example of someone that had been in for, for many, many years. Um, I know I get heat sometimes from people and they're like, oh, you can't change after all those, those years. He's making it up, you know, or, or, you know, they, think this stupid stuff you know and, and you're another example we've got another guy that that had been in since the 80s that had just come out and um it's it's incredible i mean i i sometimes when someone's been in that long i even said to myself is this for real until i sat down with the guy and and talked with him and, and heard his story and the reasons why he was out and it was it was heartbreaking you know it was it's when you come to the realization it is so so incredibly hard and in in your case and this is what leads me up to the question so you're out you've been out for about 6 years and you do the ancestry dna test and you find out and i know how it was in the nsm cuz even when i got out i was still at the very first, I was struggling a little bit with anti-Semitism. The racism was gone, but I was still struggling with anti-Semitism. And thank goodness for a lot of the wonderful Jewish people I know now in the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Um, I don't have any of that, any of those uh, feelings or anything like that anymore. And it's all uh, gone. But um, I know how I was a raging anti-Semite. And I know that's what the NSM was really focused on, the Jewish, yeah. uh, the Jewish thing. Um, so you're out, you, you put the, that life behind you, you do a DNA test just recently, and you find out you're part Jewish. How, how do you process that? Like, I mean, I know you're still working on processing it, but uh, how did that make you feel? It, it's almost like everything kind of came full circle. Like I was saying, it, it's very much so that none of us are pure anything. Almost no one is pure anything. Um, and so for me, it was sort of a, a wake-up call. 
not only did I do horrible things to a lot of people, but being 12% Jewish, I, I was doing a lot of horrible things affecting people that were, you know, my own blood. And it, it's a shame falls over you, for lack of a, any other term that I could possibly come up with, shame, pure shame. And then it's, you know, well, I've heard so many bad things over the years about Jewish people. I have Jewish friends now, but it's like everything in life is so new. When you get out, everything is so new. You realize all the trappings that held you back before. You need to learn, you know, not exactly the opposite, but you need to learn the truth. You know, there, there's always two sides of every story. Everybody wants to be the hero, but between the two sides, there's the truth. You know, and so for me, it was finding out that I'm Jewish was a shock, a, a big shock. Nobody in my family is, is Jewish that I know of. Nope, nobody. None of my family has ever mentioned Jewish anything. Um, but I didn't know my father. He left when I was two, so he could have had Jewish ancestry. Um, and I know that for me, finding out that I'm part Jewish, I'm not necessarily as interested in the religious elements of Judaism, but I am very interested in the cultural elements because I like to know as much about just about every culture that I can find, especially ones that are directly linked to me through heritage. And so I, I've really been trying to study a lot of uh, from it, but let me tell you, there's a lot of words that are in Yiddish in, in, on Jewish websites that make it to where a, a 10 minute read becomes a 45 minute research project. So it, it, it's very different. It, it's very, it's eye-opening really, it, it is, because you never know what you're gonna find. What I would say to anybody watching this, um, especially ones that are still in the, the, the pro-white movement and everything, um, you, don't, you are not what you think you are. Mm. You're not what everybody tells you you are. And you're not your skin. You can step outside of all of that. Once your skin is no longer a factor, once what you think your heritage is, is not a factor, that's who you are. And that's who everyone else is. If you can look beyond their skin, if you can look beyond heritage or um, speaking accents, things like that, that's who that person is. And look past that, look past all of that and look at the humanity of the individual. That's what, what really came to me through everything that I've been through. And the, the really scary thing is I, I'm Jewish with a very Nazi tattoo on me that says Blut und Boden, blood and soil. And uh, that's probably 25 to 30 years old sitting on my arm and the whole time I've been Jewish. So. Well, we'll try to, we're going to try to get you hooked up with somebody and maybe get that covered up if you want. Um, you know, oh, yeah. We'll, I, I yeah. Get covered. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, yeah, let's make that happen. Let's yeah. definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, it, real quick, it, go ahead. as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about no, that. No, please, please. 
No, I was just going to say, um, you mentioned you had children and two, I think you said two of your boys are autistic. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Now, um, the reason I'm asking is because my oldest son is on the autism spectrum as well. And, um, I never, they never knew exactly, they know what I do now as far as countering the violent extremism and trying to help people come out of that. They didn't really know a whole lot when I was involved with it, uh, really. But my my question for you is, is that you said you didn't really, your kids didn't really know a whole lot. Now, were they younger when you came out of the movement then? Um, is that kind of how it was a little bit easier to keep that from them? The reason I'm asking is because my oldest son, like I said, never knew that any of it or anything. But I came to find out that because of the autism it's a very black and white and he was very much drawn to like the conspiracy theories on youtube and all of that so i was just curious if you came across any of that with your kids or if they were really too young to realize any of that my kids they were the only exposure they really had to it was when there was a, a cookout or a large event that they could go to um that was more family oriented other than that, I, I pretty much kept them, you know, out of the, the whole thing. I didn't want them involved, um, especially because they, they were on the autism spectrum. My oldest, uh, my oldest son will be 13 this year. And I think he was five, maybe, at the time when we were still doing a lot of that stuff. It, it, it's very difficult when you have um, people around you, young kids, to keep them not influenced by everything that they see around them. Um, so with me, it was, even when I was in the movement, it was very much so I didn't want my kids involved in it. I didn't want them growing up, you know, to, to have the same horrible experiences that I did. If they wanted to be in the movement at that point, it was like, cool you know if when they're older but i wanted to keep them away from it and and you know kind of keep them safe you know i mean i've probably been in 30 fights in my life because of the movement and it's not something that, that that's easy to see your kids go through you know it, it's not something i want for them this is really interesting how the dynamic is like you were, you know, and I, I did the same thing with, with my kids. It's like, they weren't brought to events. You know, if there was something like a barbecue, something family friendly, they might, there was a couple of things that they went to, but for the most part, I kept them away from it. So you're under this, you're under this um, guise that you're doing this for your family. You're, you're fighting for your future and all this kind of thing. And I did the same thing. And this is something I didn't process until later as well, but we really didn't want our kids to go in it. You know, like I, I said the exact same thing that you said was like, Oh, well, if they want to go in when they're old enough, then they can do it. And that's what I always had said to mine. Um, when they were growing up, you're too young, you can't be involved, you have to make this decision when you're 18. We didn't take people under 18 typically anyways. So it was, it, that was, that was the thought. But once you process all this stuff after you're out, you go, wait a minute. Okay, if I'm doing this for my family, and I had somebody ask me this, like, you know, and I was like, whoa, you know, because it made, it brought me back to thinking about it. It's like, okay, we're doing this for our families, but yet, something in the back of our head told us don't bring that you know don't let them be involved in this it wasn't always because it was necessarily going to be dangerous at an event or something especially the family friendly stuff was never dangerous the uh, the uh, the rallies and different things were but not the private stuff and but still you you wanted to shelter them from that so um i find it really interesting and and i did the exact same thing so this is this is uh really interesting conversation we knew well enough to keep them away from it but yet we kept doing it you know what have you been able to figure that out for me the way i kind of justify it in my subconscious anyway is that i i sort of knew it wasn't right i sort of knew that that 
you know, but when you're in deep, when, when you're in deep enough that there's no just, you know, saying, hey, you know, I was wrong about everything. I'm going to go, guys. All right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you know, it, it's not that simple. Um, but you know, it's not right. There, there's something in, in the very core of you that recognizes that, hey, these are other human beings, period, that you're, you're demonizing. And, you know, I mean, the justification for wars, look at the justification of wars. It's always the same exact thing throughout all of the media. And that's demonize the people in the country first. This way, going to war with them, you're not warring other human beings. You're going to war against subhuman evil people. And that's the same justification in the movement. And you know what's wrong in the very core of your freaking being. I mean, if you get involved with it and you're young and impressionable, you know, and you're in it until you're an adult, you know, you're in too deep at that point. So it's not as easy as just saying, shit, what did I do with my life? You know, it, it, it takes more than that. It, but you know that that's there. You know that that's the truth of the matter. You know that you screwed up. You know that you've made wrong. And that's why I didn't want my kids involved at, at the very core of it. I didn't want them going through the same thing I did. That's that's it. That's that's just it right there. And and um, I, I think it, you're right. It, it was in the subconscious and and we knew that. And, you know, I've heard this from other people, too, you know, that have come out because there's some that, you know, they do bring people. Some of the people do bring their kids up in it and want them all involved and things like that. But I think it's more common, like w with our own stories, like kind of sheltering them from that, because we knew uh, and even that. I always, the way I, when I was processing it, I thought, you know, I knew how hard of a life it was, you know, being in that long, I knew how hard it was and how dangerous it was and all that. And it's like, you know what? I don't want my kids to have to go through that. It's, it's basically the same thing that you were, that you were saying. And I, and I think it, it was deep down in the subconscious that we knew it, that what we were doing wasn't hundred percent right, but we just couldn't see it. You know, something was, was still holding us there. So that's an incredible uh, conversation and, and um, uh, insight. And, and uh, there's just, you, you have a lot of knowledge. And I, I want to say, I mean, I've, I'm so, I might've said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again, man. I'm so proud of you for, for coming out and, and willing to share this stuff. I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. And I know that uh, uh, there's people that, you know, talk crap and all, all that kind of stuff, but man, what you're doing is the right thing. And, and uh, so proud to see you on this side of things and and uh it's just it's just amazing is there is there anything else you can share with us or acacia do you have any more uh uh questions we could go on forever i mean i'm it, it's just it's to have somebody that's been involved for over 10 15 20 years that like literally as a child you had an interest in it i mean you know, I come to, I, I think of it and my oldest will be 15 this year. And it's like, just the thinking about like him getting involved with something for this long and it becomes ingrained in you as you grow into an adult and then coming to the realization that, you know, this isn't what I want. This isn't right. You know, like you said, you know, you want a better future for everybody. You want a better future for your kids, but you want a better future for them because the world is a better place and everybody is working together like that for me is that says a lot about your character and i think it's pretty amazing and i appreciate you so much for coming on and being willing to share your story because people need to hear these things people need to realize that they're just regular people that get involved with these things and that even after 20 years they can realize that you know what this isn't the way i want to go and they can change i mean that that offers hope and that's pretty cool and i appreciate you being willing to come on and share with us and share with all of our listeners thank you both thank you both so much let me tell you it was probably a year before um jeff has actually came out of the movement and a mutual friend of ours in north carolina was like 
you know who I miss talking to? Jeff. And I was like, yeah, me too. I miss talking to the commander. At the, at the time, it was so ingrained. He was the commander, you know. And so it was like, yeah, I miss talking to the commander too. We used to talk all the time. But I can't contact him. Because once you're out, it, it's not that it's going to pull you back in. But you know that hearing those same people that for years gave you a hug, called you brother and all of that. To hear them say you're a traitor, you should you know you should drop off the face of the earth and die, because you left something, is almost crippling. So when he he messaged me, the same person from North Carolina, and he was like, "Dude, Jeff is out. He is out. You got to talk with him. You got to message him." And that's when I had sent Jeff a message. I was like, "Dude, how's it been? It's been a long time." Right. Then. That's the type of thing that the movement does. It, 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 it's crippling socially, but it's crippling mentally too. If anybody is in the movement and they do want to get out, reach out to Jeff 110% because there's more people willing to give you a hug and actually mean that they care about you and are glad that you're out of the movement. Then there are people in the movement that call you brother every single day. You got it, man. And I know exactly who you're talking about. And and I'm in touch with him uh, to this day. You know, there is so many, you know, we don't drop names on this show or anything like that. um, But there's so many people that we knew from back then, it it would blow your mind how many really are are out. And I was I was surprised too, because you know, when I when I left, I got you know, your hate mail and a few threats and stuff, not, not really from NSM directly, but other white nationalists. And, and uh, a lot of people in the NSM were really pissed off. I got some negative messages from people and, and uh, things like that, because they felt like even, even some of the messages from people that weren't members, they were like, I let them down by leaving, you know, like they, that, I personally insulted them by leaving. Like that's another thing that the movement sees the people that are in it is like, it's your duty. It's your job. You know, you must do this for us. And, and they, and when you leave, it's like, wow, like, (laughs) you know, it's, it's so crazy, but there was in that same period of time when, you know, getting some of those messages, I was getting messages from people that we haven't heard from in years. You know, like a lot of people that left, I know when you, when you left, because, you know, you resigned and, and I knew what was going on at the time and things like that. But there's other people, as you know, from the years involved, they'll just disappear. They won't say nothing. You just won't hear from them. So there was people that reached out that I hadn't heard from in 15, 20 years or long time. And all of a sudden, Hey, I saw that you're out. I saw you on this, you know, TV show or whatever it was, you know, and, and or I found you on Twitter or, or something like that. And, and uh, awesome. I just wanted you to know I'm still out here and, and uh, I'm out too, but I was, you know, I wasn't going to approach, tell the movement, you know, that, that I was out. So, I mean, there's so many, it, it, it's really incredible. So a lot of people are figuring this stuff out, but you're right. And I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned it because there is people that are on the fence there's people that are thinking about going in. There's people that are thinking about leaving. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of contacts that we have with people that are kind of you know rethinking things, and but they're not quite sure yet. So I think it's it's so important that they hear that message, that they hear that hey, we there is people out here for you. You're not alone. You don't have to take this journey by yourself. And um, and you know we're we're here. For, all of us, you know, we're here for you. We're, we're building this, this positive community and, and doing good things out here. And uh, what a wonderful example this week, Mr. Fred Cook. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. So thankful for you, brother, and, and coming on the show. Anytime, man. Anytime. Thank you for, for doing everything that you did once you got out, man, because the world needs more Jeff Scoops now than they did Jeff Scoops then, let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you, man. Same, same with you, man. We, we just, it's just phenomenal to, to, to see. And, and, uh,
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.